Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our next-gen pastor, Myron Jellison, for this week's message. Well, good morning. Welcome. Glad you guys are here. That's Chris said, my name is Myron. I am the next-gen pastor, and we're kicking off a mini-series, like he said, Thrill of Hope, kind of this, this prepping us, our hearts, our minds, and getting us ready to really celebrate Christmas Eve here, and then celebrate Christmas with all of our families, and really remember the purpose and the reason why we celebrate Christmas. And I just want to say something real quick. I'm not excited for Christmas. Some of you might be like, boo, but seriously, some of you probably won't admit it either, but you're not super psyched about Christmas because it's stressful. There's busyness. It's, it is travel and presents and food and prepping the home and dealing with certain relatives. I mean, it just, the idea of it is so good, and I love what it represents, and I love remembering the birth of my Savior, but man, I am just maybe not as excited as I should be, and that's a problem, Right? Christmas is, isn't about what it should do for me. It's about what's already been done for me. And I want us to remember that and reflect on that and really recapture some of the joy, the hope, the thrill, the excitement as if we were children. Think back when we were children, right? Christmas was awesome. I mean, it was the most exciting time of the year. I was fired up. I was so full of hope and anticipation of what was going to be and maybe the presence that I was going to receive. It was it was so thrilling. And I remember going to the Toys R Us in St. Clairsville. It's no longer Toys R Us. They all shut down. But when I was growing up, we'd go to Toys R Us. And did you know they had these scanner guns that they would give kids? And you would run around the store scanning barcodes of the things that you wanted on your Christmas list. And then that would get printed off and handed to your parents. And then they would know what you wanted for Christmas. It was incredible. I got the gun and I'm getting Barbie Jeeps and bicycles. I mean, you name it, I am just scanning everything on the shelf with the hope that I could clear those shelves and it would end up in my house. If you would just seen my face probably and the feeling that I had of like, I'm in, I'm in Wonderland, just scanning every barcode I possibly can with an anticipation or a hope that I just might unwrap some of these things on Christmas morning. Being a a child at Christmas is thrilling, it's exciting, and it was simple. While I'm scanning all of these items, okay, I am completely oblivious to the family drama that's about to ensue in the upcoming week and, and time and travel and all that. As I'm scanning the happiest kid alive, I'm completely oblivious to the financial strain that it might put on my parents to provide some of these items for me. Maybe credit card debt that you have to go into in order to meet some expectation of providing gifts. I'm completely oblivious to it. I'm just scanning away. I'm completely oblivious to all of the stress that comes with Christmas. And then I became a freshman in high school, got a little bit mature, a little bit more understanding, and I finally started to see and, and begin to experience some of these stressors. And I wanted one thing my freshman year of high school. One item is the only thing I wanted for Christmas, and it was a PlayStation 3. You guys know PlayStations, they are a video game console, and it just came out a few years prior to my freshman year. All my friends had them, and I wanted one so bad. And I was asking for one. That's the only thing I asked for. But then I realized that it was $200. And I had a home of like five, there was five, six kids in the home, and some of them were all 
old and gone in college, but there were still a few of us in the house. And I was like, 200 bucks for my family, our financial situation, too much. It's impossible. My parents will never buy this for me. They cannot afford this. Over, game over, right? Until Christmas morning. I go down, I look, at, I look under the tree, and I see a box wrapped. I'm like, man, that is like the perfect dimensions of the box for a PlayStation 3. Nah, they can't afford it. It ain't going to happen. I don't want to get my hopes up. Comes my time to open a gift. In our family growing up, we would alternate. One person would open. We'd all watch. We had that little cycle. It took forever. But we did it that way. It was, it was cool. So I see, I see the box being handed to me. And again, I have the thought, man, this feels about the right weight. This looks about the right dimensions. Could this be? And as I peel back the top, I remember it so vividly. I peel back the top just to expose one side of the box. It's a blue box with three big white letters, P-S-3. I had gotten it. The impossible became possible. The thing I was hoping for with all of my being that year came to fruition. And my mom snapped a photo, and I wish I had the photo to show you, but we couldn't find it. Um, My face lit up with like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it actually happened. Being, being a child at Christmas is so fun, it's so thrilling, it's so exciting, it's so simple, it's so magical, it's so mystical. But guess what? When you get older, there's like a conspiracy on culture to bum us out. Like, there's like they're out to get us and ruin this for everybody, and it, it's stress and anxiety and worry and fear and all this stuff that happens and financial strain, and it just bums us out, robs our joy, robs our our hope. There's so much market marketing at us. You need this. You need to buy this. You need to go Black Friday sailing. Forget about Thanksgiving and Turkey. Bro, just go shopping and get all the best deals. And we have this constant, constant, constant do, 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 busy, busy, busy stress. And then we have this time of self-reflection. I don't know about you, but it seems like the holidays bring this time of self-reflection of like inadequacies over the past year. Things that I didn't, that I wanted to accomplish, that I didn't get to accomplish, that I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough, and I failed, and and the year's winding down. I'm making my New Year's resolutions already because I want to be better next year. And then there's family and all this stuff, man. Christmas just doesn't seem that exciting anymore as an adult, but man, as a child, it was simple. I want this time, I long for a time now of rest, relaxation, reflection, and rejuvenation. A lot of R's there, I know, but it's good. And I want that, I long for that, and I want to recapture that. And I don't think us as kids, the reason why it was so magical is because we were just mere materialistic little heathens. You know, I don't know, we might have been, yeah, but there was something magical about Christmas. Like, okay, I don't quite understand. There's this, maybe this fat white guy in a red suit with reindeer and a sled, and maybe he can get to every home. It seems very impossible that he can get to every home, but just maybe, just maybe there's something bigger that's happening in the mind of a child at Christmas. And that's what I want us to look at today, the real reason for Christmas, that it's bigger. There's something more. There's something transcendent, supernatural, and powerful about this time of year that we have lost sight of in 2019. Christmas should be simple, hopeful, and joyous, but it's not. And even the Christmas music, right? It's the most wonderful time of the year. That's such a lie, right? I mean, I hear that song, and I'm like, I don't know. And then I listen to all these other Christmas songs, and I'm like, I don't know, because Christmas music is so upbeat and so positive, and it should be an absolute reflection of what the season should be, but it's not. There was a study done, this is fascinating, there was a research study done that I, that I read. It said uh, 25% of people report that Christmas music is a stress inducer for the holiday season, right? And I think I know why. 
It's because we play it before Thanksgiving. Can I get an amen, right? Let's stop playing it. Let's get the turkey on. And then once the turkey's done, let's get the tree out and we can start to celebrate Christmas and turn on the Christmas music. Okay, that's not why the stressor happens. I think the reason the stressor happens is because Christmas music really paints this idealistic picture. And then we look at our life and go, man, my life does not match up to this idealistic picture that I hear in these songs. And it just bums us out. The second biggest stress inducer right above music was certain, seeing certain relatives. So music's pretty close to seeing certain relatives too. Today, I want to I look at the Christmas story. And I want to I challenge you and say the Christmas story starts before you think it starts. Not with Mary, not with Joseph, not with the manger, not with the trip to Bethlehem, all of that stuff. But some unlikely characters I want to unpack. They're not going to be in your manger scene, Christmas card, all of that. But it's an account of a man who has a, he's a normal human being, who has a supernatural, abnormal encounter with God through an angel. It's about a couple, okay, who had hope when everything seemed hopeless and bleak. It's about a husband who, regardless of what everyone was saying and what society and culture and all of his fellow brothers and sisters and people, they were just peeling off and disappearing and, and walking away, he chose every single day to remain obedient and faithful, even when it seemed hopeless. And our characters are Zechariah and Elizabeth. And you might be thinking, Zechariah, isn't that like an Old Testament prophet? There is an Old Testament prophet called Zechariah, but we're going to talk about the New Testament figure, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. Speaking about prophets, let me give us a quick synopsis to set this up. The way in which God talked to his people, the nation of Israel, were through prophets all through the Old Testament. And the prophets would show up to bring God's revelation, insight, words, direction, and, and kind of coaching to the nation of Israel. If you read through the Old Testament, you'll see, you'll see God's people would fall away, worship false idols, in the captivity, get set free, get back right with God, and fall again. And it's just this, this flow, okay? And what's happening right before the, God speaks to Zechariah is that there was 400 years of silence. A prophet had not spoken in over 400 years. So there's this ebb and flow of following and straying and following and straying. And maybe the people of Israel are thinking it's over. We've messed up one too many times. Hey, Aaron, you messed up one too many times. And God's saying, I'm gone. He's leaving you. And, and they're thinking this. Like, you know what? 400 years of silence. He's abandoned us. It's all over. Everybody thought it was all over. And then this is what happens. The next prophet enters into the scene and the final Old Testament prophet is about to enter into the scene. And now his name is John the Baptist. And you might think, well, John the Baptist is New Testament. Yes, but he's an Old Testament prophet because Jesus was yet to die on a cross and resurrect and the new covenant hadn't been established yet. So John the Baptist is the final prophet, the one that's going to pave the way for Jesus, pointing everybody to Christ, saying, hey, there's the Messiah, the, the Son of God, the, one who, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's him. Go follow him. He's about to come into the scene. And this is the cool part. Zechariah is John's father. And this is where the silence is broken. This is where the 400 period, uh, 400 year period of feeling like they were abandoned, God is going to show up and he shows up to Zechariah first via an angel. It says this in Luke chapter one. If you want to open your Bibles, Luke chapter one, feel free, smartphone, do that, stay off social media if you do that. And we will read Luke chapter one. It'll be on the screen as well. Here we go. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijad and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. 
This is significant because they both come from the Levitical priestly line, okay? They basically come through the the group of people that God set apart to work the temple. So basically there's generation after generation of preacher's kids. Preacher's kid, preacher's kid, preacher's kid, preacher's kid, all the way down from generation, generation, generation. And these two, Zechariah and Elizabeth, are in that line of preacher's kids. And their duty, Zechariah's duty, is as as a temple priest in ancient Jerusalem. And then verse 6, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. These two were doing it right. They were just doing it right. They were obeying every commandment, every law, every requirement that God had given his people. These two were killing it. All right? It even says they were blameless. So, like, if you sent a personal investigator to, like, check out their life behind the scenes, like, it looks good on the outside, send send a PI in, he would come back and say, hey, you know, they're clean, man. They are doing it right. Then the tension builds. And I want to clarify, they're not just following a law for the law's sake. These two understood it, that the heart behind it. They understood the relationship aspect of it, of trying to get back into relationship with God. The way in which it was intended in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, that peace, that joy, that serenity, all of that stuff, the way it was intended to be, but then man fallen, Elizabeth and Zechariah knew that is what was at stake. And they were going to wake up every single day doing everything they could to follow and be obedient and do the right thing. Tension builds, verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. They had no child. Doesn't this seem unfair? Like, okay, these two are killing it, doing the right thing, blameless, but yet God did not provide for them a child. And contextually, back then in that time, it was always the woman's fault. We didn't have research and science to know. And if the woman was barren, they thought it was a curse. God cursed her womb. So these two, why would they continue to wake up every single day doing everything right when her womb was cursed for some unknown reason by God? It's crazy to think about their radical devotion to God, even though that God hadn't given them an heir, a kid of a preacher to pass on the duties of the temple in the next generation. And they had been praying, man. I'm, they had been praying from the day they got married, I'm sure, as young teenagers and then through their 20s, 30s, 40s. They're like, God, we're still going to pray through our 50s, but man, it's getting a little late. We're still wanting you to bless us with a child. And verse 8, now what happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, talk about Zechariah, According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. There was 25 groups of priests and multiple priests in these groups. And there was an appointed order in which what group would be selected up to be able to go in and do this ceremonial burning of the incense. And then what they do, cast by lot, lots back in that day, they literally had rocks with with symbols on them, modern day kind of dice, think about it that way, that they would roll and they believed that God would work in that chance, the unknown of picking the right person from that group of priests to go do the ceremony. Now your number could not be rolled your entire life as a priest. So this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for Zechariah because you could live your entire priestly life and not have, when your division is up, have your dice roll be rolled for you to be selected. The timing is impeccable. It's crazy to see what God is about to do. And the whole multitude, verse 10, of the people were in prayer outside of the hour of incense offering. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing 
to the right of the altar of incense, Zechariah was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him. He's in there, angel shows up, and he is freaked out. And you would be too. I think we have a misperception of what angels look like, right? I think this is what we think angels look like. Take a look at this, this quick photo, right? If that thing shows up, I'm not going to be too terrified. I'm being honest. I mean, that's an angel. And sometimes we think about Cupid, suction cup arrows and little wings and, you know, like marshmallow angels. No, like that's not what angels are. I think this is a better depiction. The Bible paints it this way. They are warriors of God. I think this is probably what they look like. Take a look. That would cause me to pee down my leg a little bit if it showed up. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, yo, don't kill me. Like, I don't know what I did. I'm confessing my sin right now. Like, I'm trying to get right before God. I don't want you to, like, do whatever you got to do. But, man, I would be freaked out. And I think that's probably what Zechariah is experiencing in the temple, a mighty warrior of God. And here's a quick sidebar. I want you to know that there is a war, a spiritual war going on in this life that you might not see, you might not be aware of, but God is working on your behalf, fighting for you in a realm that you can't even see. The Bible tells us that. So do I want this guy fighting for me? Or do I want this guy fighting for me? I want the Navy SEAL M16 sword carrying, you know what, fighting for me. Because the enemy wants to grind us down to a nub. He wants to rob us of our joy in this life. He wants to feed us lies and insecurities and misperceptions and false identities about who we are. And I just want you to know, even when you don't see it or feel it, God is fighting on your behalf with those warrior angels. He's freaked out. The angel said to him, verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah. If you read uh, when angels show up in the Bible, it's their, it's their cliche phrase. Hey, I know I'm scary. <laughs> don't be afraid. I'm here to tell you something cool, something good from God. Don't be afraid for your petition. Petition is another word for prayer or request. Your petition has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will give him the name John, John the Baptist. This is John the Baptist being born. This is the beginning of the Christmas story. This is God breaking the silence after 400 years, saying, hey, you know the promise that I gave you 2,000 years ago from the first century? Said back in like the garden, he, he even gave us a promise. All through the Old Testament, prophets were giving us the promise of God saying, hey, a Savior is coming. The Messiah is coming. The one who will save his people from their sins is coming. And God broke his silence, revealing himself to Zechariah to bring that news. And it starts here. The Christmas story starts here, God is fulfilling his promise of a savior. And Zechariah said to the angel in verse 18, probably the same thing you and I would say, how will I know this for certain? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Yo, Gabriel, listen, <laughs> uh, my wife is post-menopause. Uh, my swimmers ain't probably as good as they used to be. You're a little late. We'd been praying since we were teenagers, and now we're past the point in our old age. You've missed it, Gabriel. You're too late. How can I know for certain? How can I know for certain? And don't we do this? Don't we do this? When maybe God does something, provides an opportunity, a door, a relationship, some type of provision, we are like... God, are you sure? Or maybe God's prompting you in the inner of your being with this nudge and like, I should do this. And, and you're like, God, I need you to do something like, I don't really know. I'm not completely certain on this. And we do that. And he's seen an angel, a mighty warrior of God, and he's still 
questioning it. Zechariah's like, I don't really see how this is possible. It's actually impossible. We're too old. Time has passed. It is gone. Verse 19, the angel answered him and said, I'm Gabriel. I gave that away by saying Gabe, sorry. I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. We would do the same thing, question it. And some of us, I've been there in my faith, and you might be there in your faith right now, and you may get there at some point in your faith, to where you'll say, God, I need you to do some supernatural thing for me in order to confirm this is your plan. And if you would just do this, God, then I would never be unwavering in my devotion and obedience to you. And we ask to test him. And God's saying, I don't need to test you. I've already proven myself. We have the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation pointing to his savior and his promise and the life that we are to live. What more do we need? We don't need anything else but the Bible, the word of God. Zechariah didn't have the entire canonization of the word of God. He still doubted. We still doubt today, even though we have the truth in his word. And we keep asking for something supernatural. And I would say, stop that. It's not going to do you any good because when it happens, you're probably still going to question it because we have everything that we need in scripture. And I would say the coolest thing about this which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The angel Gabriel is saying, hey, it's not on your timeline. None of this. Your entire life is not on your timeline. My 400-year silence, I had that planned, and it was intentional, but now in its proper time, I'm breaking my silence. And here's the thing I want to I speak to you real quick, is if you're praying about something, you have something in your life that you were trying to get some clarity on or a decision about, and you haven't got that, and you feel like God is silent and distant, it's not in your time. And the proper time for that thing may not be in this lifetime. I know that's hard to hear. But the proper time for that thing, whatever it is for you, may not be in this life. It may not be in your deck of cards with the remaining years that you have left on this earth. It's in his time, not ours. His timing is perfect. Our timing is flawed. God's promise, okay, isn't that he will answer your prayer now or eventually. That's not his promise to us. His promise is that this, you, are, you sinners are getting a savior. That's his promise. That's the only promise we really need to hold on to this holiday season. You sinners, you and I, us, corporately, together, the entire world is getting a savior. And that is the promise that I want us to remember. And not that God's going to provide for us. And he's saying, good news, Zechariah. Not even good news, Zechariah, that you're getting a son. Yeah, that's kind of good news. But good news that I am now breaking the silence and paving the way in which my son will come to you to save you. That's the good news. The Christmas story starts right here. There's a restoration of peace and harmony and serenity and unity with God that we are trying to get back to. And I think all of us have an inclination inside of us that there's something more to life than this. Think about a kid at Christmas. There's something more to this. There's something transcendent and kind of crazy and powerful and magical about this. I'm asking us to enter into this time of reflection and, and honoring the birth of our Savior with that same understanding. It's way bigger than us. Christmas is way bigger than what the world and culture is defined and we've created in the busyness and the bustle and the, and the financial strain and the presence. It's bigger than that. God's promise is come through the Savior. This is the Christmas story. This is our Christmas story because it probably relates to you and I. Zechariah relates to you and I, doesn't it? 
Because if you've been a Christ lover for a long time, you know this. If you're just starting out, you will experience this, I'm sure. Every Christian experiences this. You say, God is far from me. He just feels far. He just feels distant. I really haven't felt him, seen him, experienced him, the nudge, whatever. I'm just in this place of wandering. I don't really think God is around. He feels silent. And I want to say this to you. If God is silent, it doesn't mean he's still. Because there's a war going on around you that you're unaware of. There is a proper time that he has for you in your life and the things that he has planned for you that will come to fruition in his proper time, not yours. It's, he's, he's doing it. He's working even when you don't see it. All right? So don't get caught up in that he feels far away from me because he's silent. Even if he's silent, he's not still. He's still working. So guys, guys, keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Keep reading. Keep coming. Keep going to life group. Keep investing and, and, and reading and growing and learning and falling more in love with Jesus every single day. It does not go in vain. Keep doing the right thing. Wake up every single day. Zechariah and Elizabeth generations, probably five or six generations, hadn't heard from God. They were silent. And they still woke up every single day obedient. And we can do the same exact thing. We can have our priorities in the right place. And remember the promise of God that we, he gave us a savior. And that promise we can cling to and know we can wake up every single day doing the right thing, pursuing blamelessness in God's eye, seeking God's approval. We're not seeking the approval of man, are we? We're seeking the approval of God. And God's approval for you isn't that he has to bless and provide. We think a lot of times, God, I'm doing this. I need, to, I need to seek your approval. I want your approval, so you need to do something for me so I know you approve of my life. And that's a false teaching, and I don't want us to believe that lie. God does not have to bless us in order for us to have his approval. And we might think God's far from me. I haven't felt him, experienced him, or seen him. And if you're feeling that right now or if you've ever felt that, guess what? There's nothing wrong with you. It's completely normal for us because God's got a timeline and an agenda outside of us. He's fighting in a war, a spiritual war that we can't even begin to see. And we will have seasons in our life where we'll go, why am I doing this? Why do I give my money? Why do I serve on a ministry team? Why do I attend church on a regular basis? Why do I go to my life group? Why do I read my Bible? Why don't I just move in with him or her and shack up with him or her? That'll be easy and convenient. Why don't I just go along with the unethical practices and immoral behavior of my, my coworkers and, and my boss and maybe fudging the numbers and doing some unethical things in my workplace? Why, why do I do the right thing at the stake of losing my job? Why do I wake up every single day with integrity of doing the right thing? It just seems like the world is peeling off, doing their own thing. They're having a blast doing it, and God's holding something from me. And we start to believe that, don't we? We start to believe that, and we have a decision to make. All of us have a decision to make when we think it's pointless. Will we believe in the promise of God that he gave us a savior or will we not? Will we believe there's more to life than just this life and not get caught up in the busyness, the hecticness, the frustration, the stress, the fear, the depression? Will we have a childlike experience with the promise of God that he's fulfilling, that a savior is coming to save his people. That's a thrilling, exciting experience of hope that I want us to embrace this holiday season. Here's the one thing I know. God's good on his promises. He will come through and he's good for his promises. But his promise is not health, wealth, and prosperity and blessing and provision on your life just because you do the right thing. That's not his promise. 
His promise is that you will not get everything you ever want or need if you just pray hard enough. It's not his promise. His promise is this, you sinners, us, got a savior. And he came through on that. That's the Christmas story. Good news, the silence is over. The proper time has come. God is making good on his promises. This is Christmas. Let's remember this, hold on to that hope and have a thrilling, exciting experience to where we can overcome the stress, anxiety, busyness, financial burden, all of that to really reflect and understand what it is. Let's make Christmas simple, joyful, and hope-filled the way in which it was intended to be. Some of you, some of you are looking into Christianity right now like I was looking at the package under the tree, thinking, hey, I think that might be what I've been looking for my entire life. That might just be the answer to the things that I'm experiencing within, externally, in my life. I'm not happy. I'm frustrated. I see that package called Christianity, and I go, that just may be the thing I need to unwrap. And I would say you're exactly right. You've been checking it out, experiencing it, getting all your information, but it's time to open up the gift and receive that gift and that promise of a Savior. And if you've never done that, that'll be the greatest decision you'll make, and it will change your holiday experience. It'll change your Christmas experience. And if you've made that uh, that decision, you've already opened up your PS3 gift of salvation from Jesus, you've already opened that up and received it, don't lose sight of that gift this year. Don't lose sight of it, and don't get caught up in what culture wants to do to bum us out. Now, I want to pray a quick little prayer. And if you've never opened that gift and accepted it, it's nothing fancy about the prayer, but I want to give you an opportunity to open that gift and receive him in your heart. So if we just bow our heads, and if you want to accept this gift, just simply say something like this along the lines of, Father, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And I believe that your son Jesus died on the cross for me. And I want to repent and turn away from my sin and follow you. So, Father, would you come, Jesus, would you come and live inside of me? Change me from the inside out and help me to pursue you every single day with everything that I got. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. In addition to these podcasts, please come visit us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling, Sunday mornings at 9.30 and 11.15, and experience these encouraging messages, some incredible music, and so much more in person. We would love to meet you. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.